Canby New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. You can contact the church office Tuesday through Thursday from 9 to 5 and Fridays from 9 to 3 at 503-266-4444. Please visit us on the web anytime at canbefoursquare.com. Pastor Ron and others on New Life staff, along with occasional guest speakers, trust that the Holy Spirit will use the message to teach you, encourage you, and give you hope. You know, I don't know if you know this about CBC. It really is one of the um, best learning institutes around. Uh, If you compare the cost of going to school today, and some of you need to know this because I think some of you need to be there because of this. I mean, this is, it's not only giving you a great education. I don't know if you know that half the faculty have earned PhDs in their field of study. Uh, There's not too many universities that have that kind of ratio. To go to school at CBC costs you $75 a unit. In one year, you can get a college education, one-year college education, for $2,250. Okay, now you're saying, well, that sounds pretty good. Let me compare that. Can I do that? $75 a unit compared to George Fox at almost $900 a unit. You've got to kind of think through that just a little bit. I'll let you do the rest of the math on that. Now, we understand these are great institutes, and people will go, that's wonderful. But right under your own nose, you have an institute, a two-year, accredited through the state of Oregon, seen and given uh, credit, credit through Life Pacific. And we have articulation agreements not only with Life Pacific, but Eugene Bible College, King's College and Seminary, Pacific Life Bible in Surrey, Canada, and the Pacific Rim Bible College in Honolulu, Hawaii. Transfer agreements with Corbin College, Portland Bible College, and Prairie Bible College. So these are, these are places that the students can go once they leave Canby Bible College. I just need to let you know that. You just really need to be aware of that. It's a great, great education. And so if you're interested or you know someone that is, please, please talk about Canby Bible College. It's a great school. Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you today for your wonderful love and grace. Thank you for the mercy that you have shown all of us. We thank you for those that are graduating, those that, Lord, are following you. Let their lives be blessed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, I want to thank all of you for for your prayers. We have gone through quite a journey in our house. Our grandkids got sick, our kids got sick, then I got sick, and then Annette got sick. I mean, it's just one thing after another. In fact, <clears throat> and this has never happened in the 32 years we've been married, uh, I've never seen a net that sick before, and, uh, and, and our sicknesses kind of overlapped, and, uh, and this has never happened. <clears throat> we were in bed at 2 in the afternoon sick, and, and, and I don't know, I have these things, these weird things, these ideas, these thoughts that come, and as I'm laying there, I, I thought of the scene in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Have you ever, you've ever seen that? Is that this? Yeah. There you go. 
That's the way we felt. Our whole family was in bed together. It was just kind of like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. And it was, uh, it was something. We're glad we're almost through that. So thank you for your prayers. We really, really do appreciate that. Pull out your bulletin, would you? Would you do that with me? Pull that out because it's irrelevant for you today on the back side. We're not going to go where I thought we were going to go. I want to talk to you about something else. On the back, you're going to see that. You can save that outline. And it's my fault. It's not the people who printed the outline or put it together. It's me. And so all the blame rests on my shoulders. I'm going to take some time today and talk about something different. This will be applicable in a few weeks because we're going to continue our series touching of the touchable Jesus, touchable church. We're going to begin a study in the book of Acts starting in the middle of May. And so I want you to be aware that the the Touchable Jesus, Touchable Church will continue. The series will continue the middle of May. Uh, And so I want you to know that we're not giving up on that. We want to keep going because it's a great, great series. Studying the book of Acts is exciting. And I want you to get excited. I want you to be praying about that because I think good things are coming. But what I want to do today is I want to do something a little different. I want to talk about some things that really have to do with what you heard last weekend. Uh, there was something said last weekend by one of our next-gen teachers, Spencer Schauber. Didn't they do a great job that weekend service? <clears throat> they really did. They did a good job. I don't know how many know this, but we had about 120 uh, next-geners running the whole campus. It wasn't a youth service. It was a regular church service. And, and I found out the youngest was 10 and the oldest was 29. And so what they did is they, they, they ran church. They, they did the whole thing. And I'm so proud of them. And they can do a great job. And they have done a great job. It's exciting. But if you were here, you're going to remember he said something that, that I want us to spend a little time on together talking about this weekend. And it had to do with our doubts. Uh, it had to do with our doubts as believers in Jesus Christ. There's something that we think about. And I, I think it's a misnomer. I, I, th- I don't think it's accurate that when we come to know Christ as our Lord and Savior, we think that all the doubts go away. All the doubts that we have in the past, all the things that we think about concerning theology and life and creation, they just disappear. Well, truth be known, they don't disappear. There's still some things that we have to face, things that we have to deal with. Doubts about creation, doubts about miracles, and doubts especially concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's probably one of the biggest hang-ups people have. The truth is we all have doubts at one level or another and at one time or another. Now, the question is, what do I do with those doubts? The question is, what do you do with the doubts that you may even have today? Well, this message is directed to... Doubters Anonymous. And I say that because most of us, if we've been in church for a while, we'll never admit it. We won't even talk about it. We keep these things hush-hush because we are supposed to know. And quite frankly, we don't know. There's some things that we just don't have a handle on. There's things we don't understand. And so what I don't want to talk about is just the, the doubt that may come into our mind concerning the subject of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a great time to do that. We've just finished our Easter season. We've talked about how wonderful the resurrection of Jesus Christ has really provided life for all of us. I want you to open your Bibles with me, if you would, to the Gospel of John. We're going to look at the Gospel of John, chapter 20, because in a few minutes, we're going to look at someone whose nickname began with the word doubting. Someone's nickname began with the word doubting, and it's in John, chapter 20. He's risen, is what we're talking about here. It's the resurrection. It's the pulse of the message of the Christian church. He has risen. Now, three English words that are translated from one Greek word. Did you know that? Gero. 
is the word used here. Gero. It's one word that we use three words to interpret or to communicate the fact that Jesus Christ has risen. And it's something that we need to understand because gero literally means to waken or to rouse from the dead. It's what I used to do to get my teenagers out of bed on Saturday morning. Same kind of thing. Go in, it looks like they're dead. So what do you do? You shake and you shake and you waken them. You waken them from the dead. I used to go in and say, rise, because we have work to do today. You know, and they would fight and they would moan and they would groan. It's the same kind of picture that you would draw in your own head. Because 2,000 years ago, the Bible says because of our sin problem, God became flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. And that Jesus lived a life without sin, was born of the Virgin Mary, took all of our sin upon him, and he died on the cross so that all of us could be forgiven. Three days later, the Bible says, Igero. He's risen. Jesus rose from the grave. So what does Gero mean to us? That's really the question today. What does it mean? This question is clearly answered on both sides. And I want to tell you how it's answered. If Jesus has not been raised, 1 Corinthians 15, 17 says, your faith is futile, that it means absolutely nothing, that you are still, I am still living in my sin. If Jesus did not raise from the dead, what we are doing right now, this very moment here in church, although maybe slightly helpful, it may help us be better citizens, become better people. But really, when the sun goes down at the end of the day, Jesus isn't risen. We are just kidding ourselves. It's one cosmic joke. Now, contrast, contrast that with what 1 Peter says in 1 Peter 1, verse 3, which tells us that he is risen. Peter says this. He says, in God's great mercy. I love that. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, if Jesus is risen from the dead, we have the possibility of new birth. What does that mean? Well, it means that not only were we born physically, but we can also be born spiritually. Some of you already know that. You've been taught that. But is the reality of that really sunk into your daily living? Is it part of your life? Is it something that consumes you? Is it something that affects everything you do, every decision you make? Because that was the design of God when he rose Christ from the grave. He did that not so that you could have a happy Easter Not so you could celebrate Christmas and know that the Son of God was born, but that every day, every waking moment, every sleeping moment, the resurrection of Jesus Christ could transform your life. It means that not only were we born physically, it means that we were born spiritually, that all of our sins can be forgiven. No matter how bad we've been, no matter how disgusting we think our life has been, we can be forgiven because Jesus defeated sin and he was, the Bible says, he was raised from the dead. Gero. We have new birth. And secondly, we can live with a living hope. And I think that's what's very meaningful to me. I hope it is to you. That we can have a hope every day. And that, that, that thing that when you wake up, it's there. And, and it gives you reason To get out of bed. It gives you reason to go through the next hours and and days and weeks. It's there. There's just something stirring that sometimes isn't even explainable. It keeps you going. 
It keeps you alive. That's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There are times that, that, that I'm excited about something. I don't even know why. And if I stopped to put my finger on it, I'd have to trace it right back to the fact that Jesus has risen from the grave. That he's given me life. It's a living hope. We would not live like those who have no hope in anything beyond this world. We have hope in the eternal life that is still to come. And it all hinges on the question, did Jesus raise from the grave? In John chapter 11, Jesus asked the question, do you believe? Remember, we've talked about this in weeks past. Do you believe? He takes something that is so universal as the resurrection from the grave. He takes something that's so amazing and he narrows it down to one thing. And that's you. A relationship with you. And he asked the question, do you believe? Because that's really where it needs to land. It needs to land in each one of our hearts. There is a difference between believing in God and believing God. There's a difference between believing that Jesus was raised from the grave and believing that applies to your life. In James chapter 2 verse 19 it says, hey, you say that you believe. He's talking to Christians. He's saying, hey, you say you believe. Well, well, that's really good. And, and I'm proud of you. And in fact, you could probably pat yourself on the back. But the reality is this. Even the demons believe and they shudder. Over the years, I've had plenty of time to observe people and I've come to some conclusions about what kind of believers we can be. <laughs> and I include myself. What kind of believer you can be. And I, I think we've all probably looped through each one of these that I'm about to mention at one time or another. And I, I want to identify those for you. What I want to do is there are three categories that we may all fall into as we live out our faith. And I want you to listen and determine maybe where you are today. What category do you fall in today? Now, here are the three categories of believers. And again, it's important because of that question. Do you believe? The first category is this. It's a casual believer. You can write that down if you want. A casual believer that's the person who says, you know what? I believe in God. I'm a good person. I pay my taxes most of the time. I haven't killed anyone, and I am generally a good person. I, a casual believer is someone who can be described as a practical atheist. <laughs> they believe in God, but they don't let God really impact their lives. Even though there's a, the belief in God, uh, he needs to stay out of my business. I believe there's a God. I believe there's some cosmic energy, some cosmic power. I believe there's an originator, an author of all this. But, you know, let him go his way and let me go my way. And, and never should we cross. God forbid. Never should we ever, ever cross. And, and, if it hel and, and if it helps, then we can say, Lord, you know, maybe we'll throw out a prayer every now and again. Especially when we're in trouble. Let God do what he does and let me do what I do. But that's a casual believer. And then the second kind of believer is this. It's a convenient believer. Con a convenient believer. That's someone who looks at Christianity as a one-way street. And if it helps you get ahead in life, sure, you believe in God. If it helps you close the business deal, yeah, man, I I'm a Christian too. Sign right here. A convenient believer believes that when they get what they want, when it gets them a date, a parking place, a business deal, the house that they want. Sure, 
They're believers. I'll never forget this. I remember someone was making a sales call uh, on a net and I, and, and somehow it, they found out that, and it's not hard to find this out, they found out that we were pastors. So when we had the meeting, they brought a Bible. And he just brought their Bible in, tucked it under their arm. Now, I doubt very much that he carried his Bible around that, that often. I really do. Just, just, my, just first blushes, you know, just first glances. I'm thinking, and I wanted to ask him, so do you carry that all the time? Or do you just carry that because you're talking to me? Now, the guy wanted to make a deal. And I knew it. My wife knew it. That's exactly what they wanted to do. And, and I'll tell you, that's what happens at times. You know, I'm be real candid here. There are people that have left this church and other churches because I wouldn't let them solicit people in the congregation. Because they wanted their business to be the business that everyone signed up for. They wanted to come and make money. That's just not going to happen. That's not what the church is about. That's not what the body of Christ is about. And they got mad. They wanted to sign you up for something. And I said, you know what? This isn't about that. This isn't about being a convenient believer this is more than that this is deeper than that we have a walk we have a faith that's deeper than all of this if someone is a convenient believer they may show up to church every now and then more then than now but to really serve would be too much the two most difficult things for a convenient believer to give is their time and their money and the reason why it's inconvenient you know the there have been people that have complained every now and I haven't heard very many here, but every now and again I'll have someone complain when I teach on giving. And how many know I don't teach on giving that much? But it's always amazing that someone will complain that I do that. I'll get a little card and they'll say that they, 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 don't, they don't may altogether appreciate that. And it's always interesting to me, the ones who complain are the ones who don't give. So I'm thinking, well, what are you complaining for? You know, then there's a third kind of believer and those are the committed believers. This is a person who really gets it, a person who really understands it. Now, please hear me here. Anyone can be a committed believer. And I want you to understand. I want you to know that anyone can be a committed believer because you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be sinless. You don't have to have this ordered life that's always so perfect. You don't have to have that. You just need to be faithful. And that's why I'm so glad that the Bible says when you go to meet your maker, when you go to see God and you stand before him, you've lived that faithful life that he's going to say to you, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And I've said this before. I'm glad that when I go see my father in heaven, that he's not going to say, well done, thou good and talented servant, because I'd be looking over my shoulder to see who he's talking about. Well done, thou good and gifted servant. No. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And the reason I think he says it that way and designs it that way is because everyone can be faithful. That doesn't exclude anyone. That all of us can be committed believers in Jesus Christ. This person understands and strives for a few things. A committed believer strives to pursue God to die to self, to know him and to make him known. A committed believer exists to glorify God and their sole purpose is to live for him. Again, the great thing is all of us can do this. All of us can live this way. I want to look at someone's life and I've already told you who it is, but I want to look at someone's life, the most well-known doubter in all the Bible, Doubting Thomas. 
I want to give you some insight that you may not know about Thomas. This is it. In the time of Jesus, it was commonly known that rabbis would go looking for students or disciples. And so when you read in the Bible that Jesus was looking for disciples, so were a lot of other people, a lot of other teachers, a lot of other rabbis. It was just a culture. It was in Hebrew custom that they would do this. And and what the rabbis would do is that they would look for the most qualified, the most highly educated disciples who were full of the most potential. And the rabbis would select them and ask them to follow them. And then the rabbis would train them. And it was truly one of the greatest breaks in this era to be chosen by a rabbi to be his disciple. It would be something we would say today in a developing nation that you have an opportunity to get an education. Getting an education gets you out of poverty. That, that's kind of the mantra today. This is what it was in the culture during the time of Christ. That if you were asked to follow a rabbi, what you were doing is you were getting out of poverty and you were just been, you've just been handed a scholarship. A rabbi saying, hey, come and follow me. Come and be my disciple. There was this one very controversial rabbi. His name was Jesus. Because he was healing people and he was doing miracles. And one day Jesus came to a fisherman named Thomas. And he invited Thomas to follow him. And what you need to understand about Thomas is this. Is he was not selected by any of the other rabbis. He wasn't selected by any of the other rabbis, probably because he wasn't disciple material. He wasn't educated. He wasn't the elite of the crowd. He he was rather ordinary. And so to be chosen to be a disciple was the break of his life. He'd struck gold. When Jesus, someone of this stature, someone who already had a resume of miracles... And walking on water. And they heard things about Jesus. They knew things about Jesus. That was the press that had got into the Jewish community. And now he's asking me, Thomas, to follow him? Hmm. That's why it was easy for him to leave his family business. To leave anything behind and follow Jesus. Thomas staked the rest of his life on being a disciple of the rabbi Jesus. I hope what's happening is is the understanding and the depth of why maybe he was a doubter. See, he put everything into it. This was his break. This was he was he was going to make it. That's why three years later, when Jesus gave his life on a cross and Thomas didn't even show up, he didn't show up for the event. He, He didn't show up for the one who poured his life into his. Thomas sank into what surely was probably a massive depression. All the other disciples showed up days after the crucifixion, but not Thomas. Thomas was nowhere to be found. Thomas went AWOL. He was lost. He was panicked. He was spinning out of control. And that's why we call him a doubter. Here's what I think. I think the doubt can actually be one of the greatest elements that lead you to a committed belief in Jesus Christ. That's what I think. Here are three different elements that are on the road to a committed belief. Number one is doubt. Did you ever think that God could use your doubt? 
That God could use your doubt to make you and help you become a committed believer. That even the doubt you may be experiencing now, the doubt that's swirling in your head, in your heart, maybe the doubt you've never told anyone. That God says to you, I want to use that to make you a committed believer. I want to use that to make you a full-fledged disciple of mine. That's amazing. It's doubt. And in the church that I grew up in, if you had doubts, it was never said. The church that I grew up in, you didn't talk about doubts. You denied those doubts. You suppressed those doubts. You ignored those doubts. But one thing, you never, ever talked about those doubts. The reality is, all of us deal with doubt. Thomas did. And John 20, verse 25, all the disciples were gathered together. You remember the story? They're all gathered together claiming that they had seen Jesus after his resurrection. And they really, they really wanted everyone to know. They wanted people to know that he had risen from the dead. But Thomas said, listen, guys, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, unless I put my fingers in his side, unless I do all of this, I will not believe now here's something else that you need to know the emphasis the emphatic nature of his statement in this time confessed to his peers he's saying something to people he's run around with for a while something to some other guys that and gals that he knows and they know him he says listen you all may believe you've all seen him but unless i do this i don't believe it not for one moment there are three ways in the Greek to say I will not believe. And out of all the ways, the three ways you can say it, this is the strongest, most emphatic way to say it. Thomas is saying, unless I can see and touch for myself, I refuse to believe that he has risen. Refuse. It's because of that, the statement that many have classified him as the great doubter. Because if Jesus was truly risen, now listen to this, if Jesus was truly risen, then that one act of God demanded the rest of Thomas's life. You see what was at stake here? That what Jesus was doing and had done before is he took somebody with a lot of rough edges, he took somebody who was ordinary and average, a fisherman, just a normal job, and he had promised him the world. And now for Thomas to say, I believe, meant, <laughs> you know what? You're not going to get me that easy. I need to see it for myself because if it's true, it demands the rest of my life. It demands my everything, my all. If Jesus was not risen, then his greatest hopes, his greatest dreams were all for naught. He had to know for himself. And here's what is so amazing. And I, here's what I think I, I really, really want you to understand. If you're wrestling with doubts, that can be, that can be the greatest place to, to start your sincere journey to committed faith in Jesus Christ. That you may be closer than further to Jesus. Sometimes we think when there, there are doubts in our life that we, 
must be hundreds and thousands of miles away from God. But in fact, it could be the opposite. You may be a lot closer than you think. It's as if Thomas was saying, this means so much to me, I have to know for myself, I need to see it to believe it. I have a good friend who attends here, attends this church, and what's amazing about this friend of mine is that he came, I think, four or five years before he ever made a confession of faith. He'd come every week. He'd come to church. He'd take notes. He'd listen. And I'm thinking, where is this guy, man? He's, he's holding out. You know what I realized? I realize now that I know him even more that he knew that once he made that decision, it was going to cost him everything. He, he knew that this is, this is my whole life. Finally, he came to faith in Jesus Christ. And in fact, I fast forward to today. He's one of our teachers at KMB Bible College. He teaches science and creation. He's a thinker. Kind of like Thomas, you know. Jesus did the same thing. Do you know that Jesus looked into heaven and he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Question mark. Why have you left me here? The road to committed faith often starts with doubts. And next, as we sincerely seek, God will often give us discoveries. Would you remember that? As you set your heart to seek Him, there will be discoveries. He will let us get to know Him in a new way. And I want to say this. Can I say this to those that are praying for those seeking? Leave them alone. Pray for them, but don't try to help them always get there. Because you get in the way of God. We're guilty of that, aren't we? We want it so bad. We want our spouse. We want our child. We want our friend to know Christ. And what do we do? We try to hurry the process up. We try to get involved. We try to do our part. And listen, your part is to live a faithful life. It's the Holy Spirit's part to convict, to love, to lead. Let the Holy Spirit do His job. And you do yours. And it will work. It always does. It's amazing. God will answer and handle our doubts. You know, my doubts, your doubts, he'll handle them. I remember when I was going through a phase and I was just fairly young in the Lord and I'd gone to a camp. Yeah, why don't you guys hand me that? This thing is, uh, doesn't like me. It hasn't been around me for a few weeks. It's okay, buddy. Thank you. Here, why don't you give it? Thank you. I was, um, go ahead, Steve. Do you, is this, this one work? All right. You got it? Good. I'd gone to a camp. It was a family camp. It was a Christian camp. I'd gone to a camp with my mom and dad and my brothers and my sister. And I was in one of those times where I was just doubting was doubting a lot of things. I was in the process of asking questions about creation, asking questions about God, asking questions about the resurrection. And I knew not so much with my folks, but with the church. Again, as I said earlier, it was kind of a taboo thing to talk about things like that. 
So I remember taking some quiet time, which I rarely did, but I remember thinking, I need to do this. I need to go walk. I need to go talk. I need to talk to God. And I remember going out and sitting in a field and just praying and just asking and just talking. And I, and I had a couple sticks and I, I put them together and I laid them down on the ground. And maybe you've done this. I said, God, if you, if you're really there, if you really answer my questions, move those sticks. I mean, any way you can, move those sticks. I mean, let an ant move them. Let the wind move them. But anyway, move those sticks. You know what happened? Those sticks came up off the ground. They twirled around. They went. No, they didn't. That, didn't, that never happened. <laughs> didn't happen. But there was something there at that moment where I sensed the presence and the power of God more than I than I had before I went into that field, more than I had before when I asked God to move those sticks. There was something God was doing in my life. And he was using my doubt to get me to that place, to get me to a closer walk with him. The Bible says, it says this in John 20, verses 26 and 27, that Thomas has not shown up for a week now, and he's devastated. And a week later, Jesus' disciples were in the house together. And, and this time, Thomas was with them, and, and the doors were locked, and Jesus came, and he stood among them. And he said this. I want you to hear this. He said, peace be with you. And you know who he said that to? He said that to Thomas. Peace be with you. Now, I don't know what I would have said if I was the Lord. I, I, I think I would have probably tried to add a little scolding in there, a little disapproval. You know, we, we do that. And I, 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 see, I told you so. Not right out, but just in the tone of the voice. Moms do that really good. But you know what Jesus says? He says, peace be with you. You know what it literally means? It means all peace in all ways, at all times, be with you. Be with you, Thomas. This greeting in the Greek was the kindest and most generous greeting that anyone could give. He didn't scold him. He didn't belittle him. He didn't write him off because he doubted. He warmly greeted him. And then Jesus said in verse 27, Hey, Thomas, you know what you wanted to do? You know what you said you wanted to do? Go ahead. He said, Go ahead and touch my hands, touch my side. And then he says this, Stop doubting and believe. Now here's the amazing thing to me. Jesus gave Thomas exactly what he needed to believe. And I believe this with all of my heart, that God will do the same for you. Now, he may not give you what you want, two twigs moving and vanishing. But he will give you exactly what you need. Exactly what you need. I ended up in the hospital. I ended up broken. I ended up physically, physically crushed. I didn't want that. But it is what I needed. Because out of that rubble, out of that hurt, out of that pain, came transformation in my life. God didn't give me what I wanted. He gave me what I needed. And He wants to do the same to you. And here's the last thing. And it'll be short and to the point. Each of us 
can choose a committed belief. All of us. In John 20, 28, Thomas said to Jesus, My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. Now, if you don't know the history here, you're going to miss the depth of this statement. Because for a Jew to make this statement was considered blasphemous. And that was punishable by death. But for Thomas, he didn't care. He got what he needed. Gero, he's risen. He's alive. Jesus, now you have the rest of my life. You have all of me now. Everything about me. Did you know the tradition, I don't know if you've ever studied this before, but tradition and other reliable sources lead us to believe that it was commonly accepted that Thomas became the great evangelizer of India. Many sources claim that he was in India for 20 years, from A.D. 52 to about A.D. 72, and he founded many churches there. And it is commonly accepted that when a group of non-believers asked him to deny his faith in Christ, the one time the great doubter claimed this, I will never, ever, ever renounce my Lord. And because of it, what they did is they drove a stake through his body, And he died the death of a martyr. The doubter turned faithful and committed believer. Thomas's belief was committed enough to die for Jesus. And this is the question. Is your belief committed enough to live for Jesus? We all can be committed believers in Jesus Christ. And we can make a difference. You can make a difference. That's why we do what we do here. It isn't to play church. It's to make disciples. And that's what you've seen. That's what you've invested in. That's what you've given to. I'm going to ask that you just bow your heads, would you? Following the service, we're going to have some care teams up front here. And if you need someone to pray with you, someone to talk with you, maybe you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior and you want to do that, just come up and... and, And talk to somebody and have them pray with you. The Bible makes a very clear promise. All who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. That's the promise. Father, we want to thank you today for your amazing grace and all that you've done for us, all that you've provided for us. We just thank you for the fullness that we experience, the joy that we experience in our relationship with you. I ask that you just touch all of us, Lord. And that we we would even understand, many of us in this room that have gone through and maybe are going through a season of doubt, uh, that would be even something that would draw them closer to you. We thank you for that. We give you honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Something I want to do before we leave, and we do this every year, once a year, and that is, and you've been so kind to do this, we want to take a, an offering for Canby Bible College and Uh, What we do is we are able to offset the cost for students to go, as I said, $2,250 to get a college education, one-year college education. What we do is we want to give to that. We want to make disciples. We are committed to making committed believers. And we want to continue to do that. And our giving has done that. You have allowed the tuition to stay this low. That's how it's happened. 
And so we want to give now.